The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, as we bring you a new episode this Monday, February 6, 2023, just a week before pitchers report to spring training camp. They'll be participating in the World Baseball Classic, in which those games will be happening in mid-March, and then a couple days later, you're going to have the position players show up to spring training camp, and then everyone's going to show up to spring training and get started, and then we'll get our spring training coverage started. So this is one of the few podcasts before we shift gears and really get ready to go for the 2023 season. So what are we going to talk about in this episode? Well, the White Sox made another trade to help bolster the depth in the bullpen, There was a previous trade during the White Sox rebuild years that did not age well for the White Sox. We'll talk about that. And there's some TV drama to discuss. Jason Benetti and the White Sox negotiations. MLB Network no longer on YouTube TV. Bali Sports, the whole regional sports network may come down as they declare bankruptcy soon. There's a lot going on on the TV front. So let's get started Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It is Jim Margulis. And Jim, uh, let's get started with the trade the White Sox made. It's minor on the scale as they made a deal with the Boston Red Sox, acquiring right-handed reliever Franklin Germain, a right-handed reliever, again, in exchange for Theo Dunlinger for the White Sox. So the most important question with Dunlinger gone Who is going to be the White Sox new blacksmith? Resident blacksmith is a great thing to have on a business card. Uh, Although amateur blacksmith always reminds me of when I lived in upstate New York and a guy set half the half of a small city on fire because he was trying to forge a sword in a trash can. I, I forget the name of the show that he got inspired by, but yeah, like it, it sounds like something like a, a Mrs. O'Leary cow type thing to where like, uh, you know, hundred years from now, they're going to say like, Oh, that's not the way that happened, but no, it actually happened that way. I'll to find that. Uh, <laughs> I forget the name of the reality show, but yes, uh, it always reminds me whenever I hear amateur blacksmith, I always think of the Cohoes fire. Unbelievable. 
<laughs> I have to see this story now. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry, everyone. Baseball talk is over. I need to find this story about a guy trying to forge a sword in a trash can and almost setting the entire city ablaze. Forging fire. That, that was the name of the show. And forged the in fire. Headline from the Albany Times Union, my former workplace. Sword forger pleads guilty in massive Cahoe's fire case. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, hopefully Theo Dunlinger doesn't set ablaze whatever affiliate uh, that he joins with the Boston Red Sox. Um, but let's talk about the White Sox new pitcher that they acquired. Jermaine, uh, his four-seam fastball in the few appearances that he had with the Boston Red Sox last year averaged 97.7 miles per hour. So that's good velocity. And his slider hovers around 87 miles per hour. And he's got a show-me changeup that he throws against left-handed batters, but he got roughed up in five appearances with the Boston Red Sox. He allowed eight earned runs, two home runs, while walking four and striking out four. And in his time with the Red Sox, originally Jermaine was drafted by the Yankees, and this is a kid that grew up in the Bronx, so that was a big deal, getting drafted out of North Florida to join the Yankees, but he found his way with the Boston Red Sox system, and the Red Sox in 2022 took Jermaine, a, originally a starting pitcher, and moved him into the bullpen, and he made 32 appearances last year at AAA for the Red Sox affiliate. He posted a 2.58 ERA. That's pretty good with 46 strikeouts of 16 walks, over 38 innings, and he was 7 for 8 in save opportunities, and he's also got three options remaining. So with this particular deal, again, it is a minor deal, but it is one that I like because we've been talking about this all offseason. Our concern about the overall pitching depth for the White Sox. And here, this seems to be a move that the White Sox are trying to protect themselves in case if someone like Liam Hendricks is gone for the entire season as he battles against cancer, but also hedges a case if any other major injuries arise. Yeah, it's so, uh, well, I think one is we're going to be interested to see like how they actually pronounce uh, German's name. I'm under the impression it's German, like the oh, language, yeah. I'm sorry, but German. also like it's been weird and all over the place in videos, but like the official, if you can trust MLB.com pronunciation, it's German, like the language, but I was going to say Hermann off the, uh, uh, you know, just based on, you know, my guess based on other players with that name, but no, apparently it's German. So we'll see if that's right. Or whether this is going to be a case where it's like Luis Robert, where nobody's actually sure <laughs> years later, if they're actually saying his name, right. So, you know, uh, to be determined, but uh, yeah, to your point about bullpen depth, it seems like, you know, that with the, with the way the White Sox bullpen is constructed that, it, you know, there is still no natural, uh, you know, I guess like fill in for Liam Hendricks. I don't think, you know, there would be like, it's hard to replace a guy like Hendricks when it comes to uh, both his stuff and the fact that he's been a successful closer for years now. You know, most guys who are successful closers for years uh, have gotten the chance. You know, it's a uh, closers learn by doing job. You don't find till out till somebody's got the stuff until they actually show that they are actually able to do it. So, um, you know, when you look at Kendall Graveman or Joe Kelly or Aaron Bummer or just, you know, down the line, Reynaldo Lopez, like we'll find out who is going to get uh, the most chances with regularity. But it does give uh, Pedro Griffal and Rick Hahn a lot of flexibility on the other end of the bullpen when it comes to just guys that can cycle in and out of that last spot. Like Nick Avila, who's a real five draft uh, pick, who, you know, if the White Sox don't want to lose him and they think, think that he can, you know, hold down a job, like he needs a roster spot. 
And, and, and so like, we'll find out when spring training arrives, like what he actually has and whether, you know, that's just a, a, a random flirtation with a guy who's not ready for major league pitching, uh, appearances yet. But when it comes to the other like guys they've acquired, Gregory Santos and uh, AJ Alexi, we talked about last week. Now they're starting to have guys who are, you know, who can fill in for a week or two and see if there's anything more. Uh, you know, they also had Tanner Banks, who's not really in the picture right now. Matt Foster is not really in the picture uh, for the time being. So they have guys, White Sox have seen who are on their outside looking in. Now they have a couple more, except with, you know, bigger fastballs and haven't been able to find that like kind of slider to complement those fastballs yet. But certainly have the kind of arm to where like, you know, if the White Sox had somebody like German or had somebody like Santos and another team traded for him, you'd understand why, you know, there were, there one, um, light bulb flash away from me. Like, Oh, now you're a seventh inning guy or now you're an eighth inning guy because they're throwing 97, 98 and you just didn't have the hand position right on the slider. So that's kind of what we're looking here with all these guys that they they've brought in is it's not going to answer, um, the immediate void in the closer role, but they basically had Jose Ruiz for that job and that's it. Now they have like three Jose Ruizes, which is not bad. Like it's not great. Um, They all may be Jose Ruiz or worse. (laughs) You can't give them anything beyond a, a low leverage appearance with any regularity, but it's more than they had before. On the bullpen side, at least in relievers, the White Sox have depth that goes into Charlotte and whoever doesn't make the roster, the Charlotte Knights are getting better quality pitchers than they had last year. The, the issue mm-hmm. still is on the starting pitching front, uh, where we are looking at Davis Martin and James Feig of the Athletic wrote a feature profile on Sean Burke, and we could possibly see Matthew Thompson part of the White Sox rotation this year in case of injuries arise or there's double headers and you need emergency starters. So on the starting pitching front, the depth is still a concern, but at least on the bullpen side, even with the White Sox losing Liam Hendricks for an undisclosed amount of time as he battles against cancer, they have options uh, to rotate in and out while Kendall Graveman, Ronaldo Lopez, Joe Kelly, Aaron Bummer, they get shifted down later in games in those high leverage situations, taking on the role, whoever, maybe by committee from Liam Hendricks. Yeah, and Garrett Crochet, we haven't mentioned either, like as somebody who probably isn't in the immediate picture, but couple months in can rotate in and out with those other guys. And again, they use a pretty high draft pick on him. And the comp that I had when he was at Tennessee is a Josh Hader type or an Andrew Miller type. So if he's ready to go and he's healthy and June, he's throwing 99, hundred miles per hour again, Jim. And if the white Sox are having ninth inning issues, I wouldn't mind giving Garrett Crochet an opportunity to close out some games. If those opportunities arise, we know that, Again, with Josh Hader, left-handed relievers can be effective when they are closing out games in Major League Baseball. So that's the new guy. Let's talk about an old friend officially. Blake Rutherford is signing with the Washington Nationals. So he leaves the White Sox farm system. And uh, let's revisit that trade, Jim, because this happened in 2017. And I remember fondly when this trade happened that it really felt like a salary dump. Because the White Sox sent David Robertson and Todd Frazier, two of the more expensive players for that 2017 payroll. Uh, and they also attached Tommy Canely in order to swing the pot for the Yankees to take on the salaries of Robertson and Frazier. 
And the White Sox received Blake Rutherford, Ian Clarkin, Tito Polo, and Tyler Clifford. <laughs> oh, Clippy. Uh, oh, Clippy. And uh, this trade did not work well for the White Sox, as you wrote on Sunday, Jim, revisiting that the only one that made it to the majors was old Clippy for the White Sox. They didn't get much out of this deal. They did not. And yeah, looking back at my writing at the time when that happened and just trying to figure out like my first guesses, because it's easy to look back when a prospect doesn't pan out and say, you know, what was that all about? But it really like that. I remember going back to that off season thinking like, it felt like David Robertson and Todd Frazier and Tommy Canley should have at least been two separate deals. Um, you know, I have high hopes for Frazier just because he was kind of being paid, you know, more or less market rates and like an okay third baseman who can hit the occasional homer, but also pops up too many pitches and hits 220. Like, yeah, you know, it's, you know, some team can probably use a guy like him to fill a, fill a spot, but isn't going to drive a big deal on his own. And Robertson was also like a market rate closer uh, who is just going to be, you know, fine for another team, but not necessarily going to be, uh, you know, the lockdown, um, recording the last out of a world series, you know, based on the strength of his own uh, arsenal. He, he was fine, but also getting paid quite a bit. So it felt like, you know, when they included Tommy Canely, who was actually like emerging as a possible high leverage guy at the time and still had years of team control left and wasn't going to arbitration yet, like it seemed like you're dragging down his value by including those other two guys with him. And the White Sox seemed to go for, like, I reduced it basically to Tommy Canley for Blake Rutherford, and everybody else is just noise. It was Robertson and Frazier for, you know, Clark and Polo and Clippard, which maybe felt like, uh, you know, if you broke it down into those two deals, it's like, you know, Canley for Rutherford seems fair. Um, just having, you know, one for one. But then, like, Robertson and Frazier is kind of like getting rid of them, like you mentioned, salary dump. So um, that, you know, it was a little bit disappointing at the time. Uh, but then like Rutherford, like had some prospect, uh, stock still, like he wasn't, you know, nobody's completely writing him off, but the question was like, will he be able to tap into his power enough to play a corner spot in the major leagues? Or will he just be like a, you know, like a poor man's Ryan Sweeney. If you remember him, just, you know, can play a little mm -hmm. bit of center, but is more a corner guy who, you know, can hit righties, but he doesn't crush righties. And so he's just somebody like a second division fourth outfielder just somebody who doesn't do anything well enough to hold down a spot for a contender and that's kind of what he turned out to be except uh maybe even less so just because um the power just really never showed up and so he's just more or less a guy who could start for the barons and really not uh, bother you so at one point the white Sox had four first rounders from the 2016 major league baseball draft gym zach collins zach birdie Dane Dunning and Blake Rutherford. And out of those four, the one that provided the biggest impact was Dane Dunning because he landed Lance Lynn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, it just, and he was also drafted the lowest of those four. He was. Right? Yes. Yes. So, like, and we said this back in the day as well when they had two first round picks in 2016. You don't get many opportunities to have two first round picks. You cannot fail. You cannot screw it up. And of course they screwed it up. So this is not a, I wouldn't, I would say you would not call this a player development win, Jim. When at one point you had four first rounders of this draft class and you took one who was promising in 2020 
and you leverage that to Lance Lynn. Okay, so that was a good move, and I think Dunning could still have mm-hmm. he could have he could have staying power in the major leagues as a back end type of rotation guy for the Texas Rangers. But Collins, Birdie, and Rutherford, like how were you not able to develop one of these three guys? into something that could still be part of a major league roster. Cause all three of them are going to be stuck in quadruple a hell for the rest of their careers. Yeah. I guess the one thing you, you might defend the white Sox front office with is that that draft, that first round at least is pretty spotty when it comes to success mm-hmm. rate. Like a lot of guys who just have never hit like Will Smith, 32nd pick for the Dodgers. He's number one, the clear number one of, of those picks. Um, when it comes to production, Cal Quantrill, number two, uh, and, and then Gavin Lux, number three, tied with Dylan Carlson. So the Dodgers have two of the three most productive players from that draft, and they actually drafted uh, two of those three players. But the rest of it's still like, yeah, I'm not sure if there are any guys. Kind of reminds me a little bit of, um, you know, the Gordon Beckham draft, where just like, you know, very few, like Buster Posey turned out, but like very few were just... Um, yeah, they, they hung around for a while. You felt okay about some guys, like some guys were major leaguers, but nobody really, uh, crushing it. And when you look at the, uh, you know, the draft you had like Ian Anderson, who's been mostly good, but he's had some stumbles, Corey Ray, who, you know, I remember the white Sox um, being tied to, and everybody wanted him because he's an ace product would have been a good story. Like, you know, he's only been in one major league game. Um, a lot of guys who, you know, Kyle Lewis had injury problems. Um, you know, it's been a, a ragged first round, I think when it comes to, uh, that draft and not really having much going for it. I'm looking at the second round here, second round, a whole lot better. Pete Alonzo, Brian Reynolds, Bo Bichette, you know, the, you top yeah. uh, three most productive picks. So the three most productive picks of the second round are better than any of the top, picks unless you give uh you know maybe you give uh will smith some extra credit for being a catcher and and taking a wins above replacement hit that way because of games played but otherwise yeah that first round as a whole uh aside from the dodgers really nobody covered themselves in glory cal quantrill you know he's with the uh, guardians now so even the padres can't really claim him because that trade doesn't look so great well the quantrill was interesting at that moment because he had tommy john Mm -hmm. so there was a lot of secrecy of what was going on and people were surprised when the Padres selected him so high Gavin Lux had an audition a tryout with the White Sox at guarantee rate field a week before the major league baseball draft in which they're probably kicking themselves still not taking him but I don't think they they thought that Collins was worthy of the 10th overall pick more than Gavin Lux and boy the White Sox could really use Gavin Lux right now I, I can't use that as an excuse for the White Sox because they identified and targeted these guys, Jim, yeah. in those trades in the rebuild. Like, the White Sox amateur scouting department liked this draft class so much that they convinced Rick Hahn to continue adding first-rounders when they were making trades, and mm-hmm. here we are five years later, uh, six years later, uh, in 2023, and yeah, not looking so hot. And... uh yeah, the trade ends up just being a salary dump when we look back in the history books. And unfortunately, Blake Rutherford never reaches the major leagues with the Chicago White Sox. Only Clippy out of the four reached the major league. So it ends up being one big salary dump. But it does make me wonder if you go back in time, if the White Sox just work harder and maybe they would be better off if they just kept Tommy Canely, Jim. 
Yeah, he's had his own rocky road because he's had some, you know, Tommy John surgery and such. So it hasn't been smooth for him. So it's like a case, like it reminds me a little bit of the Nick Madrigal trade where it's like they were okay trading him when they did because, uh, you know, if they had some fears that his arm would not hold up or his delivery was a, a, a ticking time bomb for like a major procedure, then they timed it right. It's just more of a matter of like uh, packaging him up with guys who didn't really have a whole lot of value themselves might have hurt. But now looking at the, the, the first round there and uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, Six, seven out of 41 picks, uh, only seven have not made the major leagues one way or another. And Blake Rutherford is one of those seven. I guess Riley Pint, uh, number four with the Rockies, like he did not get there at all. I don't think he's come close. Uh, but yeah, just the, you know, not making it to the majors is, uh, you know, a little bit troubling. And, and yeah, as you mentioned, the fact that the White Sox went 0 for 4 rather than 0 for 1. Uh, it's, uh, it's a lottery, but it's not like, you know, a lottery lottery to where like your odds are, you know, one in 3 billion. And if you get two tickets is one in 1.5 billion, like nuts, the numbers get in your favor, the more you acquire, you know, as long as you're taking shots at the right guys. So yeah, it's not a great one. Not a, not a great turn for the, uh, the Nick Hostetler era. No, that's why there's a new director of amateur scouting now for the White Sox. <laughs> yeah, I remember the quote about you know Zach Collins, like they would have drafted him first if they had the first overall pick. I'm like, yeah, it, it was a kind of a silly quote at the time, and now it's just like, yeah, you know, it's you don't say that. I think about a guy you're happy drafting tenth. Well, the guy after him won the Rookie of the Year over Luis Robert. Yeah, even though it was the short in 2020 season and. He's fallen out of favor with Seattle because of injuries, and they got this wonder kid in Julio Rodriguez, who is just a stud and a superstar. But, I mean, Kyle Lewis has had more of an impact to the majors than Zach Collins. Yeah, I just... It, it just it's funny to me that now the Blake Rutherford era is over and I read your column on Sunday and I just wanted to revisit that point as far as in White Sox history that at one time the White Sox had four first-rounders in their farm system, part of their organization, from the 2016 Major League Baseball draft and got nothing <laughs> except for Lance Lynn. Uh, so thank you, Dane. Uh, but other than Dane Dunning, mm-hmm. nothing <laughs> from the other three. Uh, well, it's it's always fun to go back in memory lane. And, you know, these lessons are important, especially with upcoming moves the White Sox will be possibly making. We'll see where the franchise is after their contention window. Hopefully they learn from some of these lessons. But Jim and I will take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk about the TV woes that are going on in Major League Baseball. There's trouble boiling right now with the regional sports networks. The White Sox don't make it easy for Jason Benetti to return. And no more MLB Network on YouTube TV? I got a lot of problem with this TV news, and you're going to hear about it next on the Sox Machine Podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. All right, so let's talk about TV and baseball. This is starting to become a really hot topic across Major League Baseball, but let's start local and then grow to the national level. And local means the White Sox boot itself. We got the good news that both Jason Benetti and Steve Stone signed a multi-year agreement to come back to continue calling games for the Chicago White Sox on TV. And that is good news, Jim, because Benetti's awesome and he's well-liked across the entire country. I love seeing tweets, especially when games are on MLB Network and the White Sox are showed up and everybody raves about Benetti and they tune in to watch the White Sox because of the television booth between Benetti and Stone. And Benetti has brought something out of Steve Stone that we did not see when Steve Stone was paired with Hawk Harrelson. But here comes this story out of the Chicago Sun-Times. And it is really interesting. And, and the article's well done, by the way, in showing the frustration that Benetti had. And <laughs> I don't know how would you describe the White Sox point of view with Brooks Boyer. Like, how would you describe on how they viewed these uh, contentious negotiations? The way the White Sox viewed them is almost like you know, Benetti's doesn't have a union, but it almost feels like union busting. Hmm. Okay. Kind of like, uh, what do you need somebody to negotiate with you for? Don't you trust us enough? Don't you think we have your best interest yeah, in mind? Like, yeah. Brooks Boyer comes off really tone deaf. And, and here are the two quotes in the Sun Times article that I think highlights this. So the first one's from Jason Benetti. And he told the Sun-Times, the really good news is we got somewhere good. It was kind of a pain, really. There were some things that we had to get through that I thought were silly. And I'm sure they thought some of the stuff that I was talking about might have been silly. But we got there in the end, end quote. So it was a painful experience for Jason Benetti. Brooks Boyer, quote, I don't think there are any complications to it. It really wasn't much of a negotiation because we had picked up the option it was just ironing out how we put his national schedule in our local schedule. So there really wasn't anything that sticks out that was bothersome to me, end quote. So it's just like your star broadcaster, uh, the process was frustrating. It was not a lot of fun. It was painful for me, but I'm glad we got something done. The White Sox, I don't know what he's talking about. We thought it worked out pretty well. Like, just like tone deaf. <laughs> yeah, I have a problem with the other quotes, which I think you're going to get to, right? Uh, oh, yes. When it comes up. <laughs> yeah, so, okay, let's get into this one. Because Brooks Boyer unintentionally opened up Pandora's box here. And Brooks Boyer told the Sun-Times, because the White Sox don't negotiate with broadcasters agents. So in the world of media, especially in Chicago, a lot of personalities have agents. They negotiate on behalf of the media personality with the TV station or radio station to work out deals because sometimes negotiations 
can be contentious and your broadcasting agent, if you are on multiple TV stations or multiple radio stations can aid you with scheduling. So there are no conflicts and it's, you know, easy for you as a broadcaster to do what you do best, which is broadcasting, not contract negotiating. And the White Sox, they don't negotiate with broadcasters agents. So that's incredibly weird to me. And Benetti joked that he felt like he was a player in arbitration and Boyer disagreed with that. And Boyer's quote in the Sun-Times, he said, whether it's Kenny Williams or Rick Khan, they don't use agents. We're compensating them. We have a partnership with them. There's never been a need to have any sort of outside entity come in and negotiate these things. Uh, what, Jim? Yeah, that's the quote I had a problem with. Because I can see, like, you know, when it comes to trying to manage a national broadcast schedule versus a local one and making sure all your dates are covered and, you know, not wanting to let, you know, if it comes down like 120 games versus 133, you know, I can see that being like a, you know, real negotiation, um, yeah, a point of contention and back and forth and trying to manage between two parties and uh, some feelings uh, being either hurt or, you know, everybody wanting to feel like they're their priority. So I can see some differences there, but that's the quote, you know, both saying like, you can't have an agent negotiate for you. And then likening Jason Benetti, who's in demand, who has plenty of experience working with other broadcast teams, other companies, radio, TV, ESPN, Fox Sports. He had an agent uh, negotiate his latest Fox Sports football deal. And he mentioned him in the stories talking about the, the contract he got becoming Fox's number two college football guy. So that's how like, yeah, I guess big operations uh, deal with it. Like you know, they they work with agents. Like that's that's fine. That's that's you know like as you mentioned, a lot of guys have it. And somebody as in demand as Benetti and somebody who like he, he said he worked like 190 to 200 games last year between sports and seasons. Like you probably have to have an agent to some regard just to manage the schedule and make sure like somebody else is checking your math to make sure like you can be in all these places and not have to, uh, you know, clone yourself in order to meet your contractual obligation. So I can see why it'd be helpful to have somebody managing Benetti's schedule. So, you know, having the White Sox come in and say like, you know, uh, you know, we don't need an agent and Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn don't. And like Kenny Williams isn't going to work anywhere else, at least when it comes to like his schedule or yeah, sorry, his title as like the executive vice president. And then like Rick Hahn is not going to get a GM job anywhere else. And also Rick Hahn was a former agent. <laughs> like that was his job before coming to the White Sox. He worked for a sports agency. So if he's going to represent himself, like he's probably as equipped to. Right. Uh, yeah. But, you know, we never hear about their contract statuses because like uh, nobody would ever make it public because like, if we knew this is the last year of Rick Hahn's contract, everybody's saying, let him go, let him go. And same Kenny Williams, like same thing. You would see, you know, the sell the team signs would be, uh, you know, kind of floating around, except just saying like, just, you know, you don't have to fire him. Just let the contract lapse. So, but we never hear about that. So yeah, it's just, uh, you know, Jeff Agrest, who is the, um, uh, Chicago Sun-Times media reporter. Oh, thank you. He said that the Atlanta Braves were kind of hanging out, waiting to see if Benetti would become available uh, because they lost Chip Carey to the St. Louis Cardinals because uh, the Cardinals uh, spot opened up because of uh, you know their play-by-play guy is a repeat uh, 
drunk driver or like DUI offender. Um, so like they had to let him go. And, uh, you know, Chip Carey came in and so Braves job opened up and the Braves are looking to see, you know, and that's what happens when you have talent is other teams want you and other teams will make offers. So, uh, you know, when it comes to the White Sox likening, you know, two, you know, basically office fixtures in, in Williams and Han, and, you know, they're not going to work anywhere else, uh, at least for their titles and they never go anywhere. And, uh, you know, the White Sox are never going to fire them and say like, yeah, they're happy. Of course they are because they wouldn't have their jobs anywhere else. Jason Manny could have his job with like, well, at least we know one other team, but give it, you know, other organizations a little bit of a prep time, uh, to get their ducks in a row. You probably have, half dozen teams, 10 teams looking to line up Jason Benetti to be their play-by-play guy. So yeah, that was the tone deaf part to me. If I were Jason Benetti, and I should preface by saying that Jason's been good to us and he's reached out via DMs over the years as White Sox broadcaster. We love his work. And I'm very glad that he is the play-by-play guy for the Chicago White Sox. And I want him to stay as long as he can possibly stay with the White Sox. He makes it a lot easier to watch the White Sox on TV, no matter how good or how bad the quality of players are on the field. With that being said, Jason Bedetti, I believe, is on the Joe Buck path. Joe Buck was the St. Louis Cardinals announcer, take it over his dad, that he gets gigs with Fox, and he becomes the big national broadcaster that we have known over the decades calling the Super Bowl and the World Series. And I think Jason Benetti will be on that path and he'll be even more in demand on the national level. And the national games, they pay more. It's it's just, they pay more. So it's going to be more attractive for him to do those games. If I were Jason Benetti, I would be on Zillow checking out condos and houses in Atlanta. I would be gone, honestly, Jim. If I were Jason Benetti, if this is how the White Sox are going to negotiate with me, because if Fox has no problem negotiating with my agent to work out any kinks in the schedule that I may have or any conflicts that could possibly be, uh, I got to work with another professional organization then to call baseball games because I am in demand. And there is an opening right now with the Atlanta Braves. The Atlanta Braves, a World Series contender, a legit World Series contender, not pretending that they are a competitive team coming into 2023 that is stacked with young talent that's under control for upcoming years. I'm sorry, Jim. I know we should be rooting for the White Sox and saying that the White Sox should have the best possible guys, but... Looking at this objectively, if I were Jason Benetti, I'd be in Atlanta. I'm sorry. I'd be on Zillow. I'd be shopping condos right now. I, I would be in Atlanta if I were Jason Benetti. The quotes he, uh, you know, I, I mentioned in, in the, my write-up of it was when he, Benetti was talking to Danny Parkins on 670 The Score, and he mentioned that it was a, a wide-ranging conversation, so it wasn't like directly said about his negotiations with the White Sox. You know, he mentioned that he likes being as visible as he is and calling as many games as he can possibly do because he uh, is positive representation for people people with cerebral palsy, and you know he's somebody who's you know doing 
just thriving, you know, d- despite, uh, you know, what he has to deal with. And he wants to show other people in similar situations that he can be or that they can be, you know, just as a force in their occupations. So that's why he's driven. So it wasn't like, you know, saying this in direct uh, relation to what the White Sox did. We talked about like how he thought that, you know, the quote is, in the end, in a faulty way, I assumed in the back of my mind that if you get really, really good at something, people are going to stop assuming things about you. That's definitely not true. Or like when they're going to stop to, or, or like they're going to stop, stop trying to push you around. That's not true. People see how I walk. It's amazing. When I'm at the airport, I walk by people who are like those free credit card people and they have like a 5,000 points if you sign up today thing. I always get stopped by those people because they think I'm an easy mark. Like that, yeah, that's what he said. And like, it wasn't directly pertaining to the White Sox negotiations, but it felt like it could apply or that like, you know, he's at the risk of like either the, I wouldn't say the White Sox are taking advantage of him because they did give him like the platform of calling White Sox games. And, you know, they very much put his talent first and they look at it like, here's a great story. Or look at the great thing we're doing. They believed in Jason Benet, the talent. So I don't think they, they, you know, have taken it easy on him or at least the way they've handled his position in the past, they haven't really, to my, you know, perhaps like, you know, he, he sees it differently, but just outwardly, I don't see a case where like they've uh, really taken advantage of just trying to, you know, make themselves look like the good guys because they hired him in the first place. Like everything's been about the talent and it's been a great partnership up until this point. But, you know, he talked about just feeling like, you know, having a heightened sensitivity to when he could possibly be taken advantage of. And, you know, so I imagine even if the White Sox aren't doing it, He's just used to it looking at it that way. And that's something to where, like, you know, if you're managing the talent and if you're managing, uh, you know, negotiating with uh, people, like that's part of the people that you have to work with is just their past experiences. And so, like, if you're making him kind of bring these things to mind, uh, even indirectly, it's like, it's not great. And that's another case for having an agent involved is just like, you know, fewer hurt feelings, like having your hard talk with that guy in, in order to make sure that, you know, paid negotiator, you're getting paid to negotiate him with him. You don't have to like him. You just have to get a deal done. Uh, and you have to like Benetti and Benetti has to like you and everybody in between can, uh, you know, roll up their sleeves and, and, uh, you know, exchange some bruises and ultimately be fine with it. So, I don't get it on, on both sides, really. Like, it doesn't seem like it's helpful for attracting good talent, and it doesn't seem like it's just, you know, good managing of people. So, yeah, I really, really don't understand it. And I wonder, you know, if Benetti is just talking like this, one, because, like, he's on an upward trajectory and doesn't need the White Sox. But also, I wonder if it's partially, this is me entirely speculating, that he cares about the White Sox and is like, you know, I have the leverage to call them out uh, and try to get them out of this like small time behavior that limits them in so many other regards. And, uh, you know, maybe I get fired or maybe they, you know, let me go and they don't renew my contract or make it worse for me and make me want to walk away. Kind of like, you know, we've seen Jerry Reinsdorf do uh, with other prominent employees who, you know, felt like they were getting too sweet of a deal. This is something we're used to. But like, you know, he just might be saying like, I have the leverage to call them out a little bit, so I'm going to call them out and see if anything can shake them out of the way they do business because it doesn't really hurt me either way. Uh, I can get this job anywhere else. Uh, and uh, the fact that he's with the White Sox shows that he cares because, like, you know, this is his audience. This is his, you know, he's got a connection with it. And I imagine, like, you want to keep that if at all possible, and especially if you're getting paid market rate and everything and and, and you can get all the jobs you want. Like, I imagine there's an appeal to the White Sox. This isn't just like doing a favor for White Sox fans. Like there's something in it for him too, but 
there's certainly a case where like if it does get bad or like, you know, if they do keep trying to nickel and dime him, like he probably doesn't have it in him to like do it again. That that is kind of my read on it. It's it's home. He grew up in the area. He grew up a White Sox fan. This is what he wanted to do as a kid. But the reality is that in media, it's all about contracts. And if you can't get a good enough deal or you get a better deal to do something else that pays you more and you get an opportunity to call bigger games, no matter what the sport is. Yeah. You have to walk away from the childhood dream. That's something that Joe Buck had to do leaving the St. Louis Cardinals booth. And maybe one day Jason Bedetti will have to do that with the Chicago White Sox as he continues to get better and he continues to get bigger on the national landscape, especially with Fox. And here's the juxtaposition with all this. So we're talking about the White Sox here, Mm -hmm. the Dodgers, and they have Joe Davis, who's number one for Fox when it comes to national baseball. And he's calling NFL games as well. I think he's number two as the NFL broadcaster uh, for Fox. And he's going to be missing quite a few games. The Los Angeles Dodgers, the Dodgers, he replaced Vin Scully. And you know what the Dodgers did? They didn't throw a hissy fit. If Joe Davis is leaving, they understood. So what they did is they hired one of our friends, Steven Nelson, who is now going to be Joe Davis's replacement So Steven Nelson is going from the East coast doing MLB network stuff. And now he's going to be calling Los Angeles Dodgers games. And I know he listens from time to time. So Steven, huge congratulations for you. That is big time for you to get that gig, Mm -hmm. but it's just hilarious to me that we're talking it from a white Sox perspective and Brooks Boyer's like agent. Why do you need to talk to an agent? Meanwhile, one of, if not the most popular team in Major League Baseball, has no problem with it at all. And they just hire a high-quality backup broadcaster when Joe's got to leave and do other work. Like, it's it's no problem at all with the Los Angeles Dodgers. It's just, I don't know, it, it's, it's hilarious to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, Vin Scully, you know, um, it's similar to the White Sox in that, like, Vin Scully cannot be replaced. Hawk Harrelson, who the White Sox had could not be directly replaced. Like he's one of a kind. Uh, they don't make him like that anymore. Yeah. And, and that's, I think the people who don't like Benetti and the people who miss Hawk is just like that. That's a bygone era. Really. It's like Syracuse voices or, you know, professional voices are pretty much the norm now. And you might get some weird guy who slips through the cracks and, and you yeah, know, run, you yeah, runs with it. But right now, like professional voices are kind of the standard here. So like, you know, the Dodgers going from Vince Scully, who was like, you know, a Dodger since Brooklyn and not going, you know, he worked, you know, world series games. Uh, but then, you know, as he aged into his eighties, like he was just Dodgers all the way and then Dodgers home games. And then like, you know, reduced schedule, but he was just going to be the Dodgers and, and, and nobody else. And then they shifted Joe Davis, who, as you mentioned, works a whole bunch of other dates and they make it work. And like the white Sox, you know, they had Hawk Harrelson who, you know, turned into like one of Jerry Reinsdorf's attack dogs. <laughs> Basically like he would, uh, uh, he was fiercely, defensive of the organization and you're not just a homer but also like you know, a homer who 
rail against people who uh, did Jerry Reinsdorf wrong, uh, even if he devoted his Hawk Day speech to talking about like Don Fair and the 1984 strike and why Jerry Reinsdorf wasn't to blame, even though he was, uh, you know, just like that's how, you know, that's what they had in Hawk Harrelson. Ed Farmer was his own, like just, you know, not going anywhere guy, you know, just, you know, fiercely loyal to the organization. And, uh, you know, Harrelson retired and, and, and Farmer's gone. And, you know, now they have Jason Benetti, who is just, he's the new guy. And he has a new approach and he has, you know, you know he's got other jobs. <laughs> he's got, uh, you know, a, a much higher profile and he has an agent. You know, he's not going to be Hawk Harrelson, so they don't have to negotiate with him like they negotiate with Hawk Harrelson because, you know, there isn't going to be another Hawk Harrelson, both in terms of, uh, voice and style, but also just how close he was to Jerry Reinsdorf and how how fiercely and kind of insanely devoted and defensive he was of the White Sox. Like you have to develop that over decades. You can't assume the new guy is going to just step in and be like, okay, uh, you know, he's going to be uh, you know Jerry Reinsdorf's guy now. Like no, he's especially if he can get jobs elsewhere. Like, and he's still you know trying to establish his place in the broadcast hierarchy like he's got to look out for himself until he gets comfortable and realize like i've done everything i want to do and it's white Sox games from here on out again i'm happy that jason is here but if i were jason i would be in atlanta uh, <laughs> that's that's just me personally but yeah so jason vedetti's back and the white Sox are not only weird when they're negotiating with free agents <laughs> They're also weird negotiating with their own damn employees and their contracts. It's just so small. That's that's a word that keeps coming to me, just like small. It's just not in baseball. You know what this story does? It just shines a light on. It's just not baseball ops. It kind of reeks throughout every level of the White Sox organization. And that's not good. That is not good. All right. Speaking of not good, we'll quickly touch on MLB networks removed on YouTube TV and I have YouTube TV and I know a lot of our listeners have YouTube TV. I do as well. Uh, as it's a, it's a, it, you know, it's a great resource. If you're cutting the cord, at least with cable, you're just sticking with internet to help cut costs and you can have it on your phone and your tablet. When I go in San Diego, I could still keep the local channels on the thing. Uh, Cause it knows that I'm traveling and it, it's just, it's such a great, it's a great streaming platform and, I'm fingers crossed MLB network returns to YouTube TV, but it kind of sucks, Jim. And if it doesn't get back onto uh, YouTube TV, when the regular season starts, you know, typically my process is, especially with the white Sox are on the road is that when the white Sox game is over, I'll watch MLB tonight. And that's how I get to watch a lot of the late night games and watching highlights and getting former players, ex-players analysis on what they're watching live. And it opens up the doors to a lot of other players that, especially in the West Coast games, that I don't get to see on a daily basis. And if it does the return, that that's where it's going to hurt me. But yeah, it, it's kind of a bummer. MLB Network's been removed as we are approaching spring training. I, I don't watch a whole lot of TV casually on YouTube TV. Like I, I like it for the cloud service. That's kind of how I, you know, it's very easy to record shows you watch and, and catch up and such. So like to me, it's oh, like, yeah. uh, it's more convenient for watching things after the fact. But yeah, it's like part of the reason I got YouTube TV was that it had an MLB network. <laughs> and it's just, uh, you know, cut, you know, cutting the cord, you know, briefly looked like a great idea and now it's just turning into as expensive and convoluted as actually having cable just because it all comes back to like 
trying to chase money the same way and the rights fees and everything like that are still negotiated by the same people. So it's just, you know, there, there's a limited amount of time where I think when it comes to TV broadcast, TV networks, that everything looks okay. And then something shifts and uh, the profits aren't what they used to be. And all of a sudden uh, things are turned on their heads. And they have to look elsewhere. And uh, that's, I think we're going next with the conversation because uh, of Bally sports. Yeah, so speaking of ballet sports, the regional sports network network woes and troubles for Major League Baseball really ramping up. And I think the best story, and there's been a lot of stories and a lot of business outlets, financial publications have been tracking this story because there's a lot of money involved. But I have to give a shout out to Ben Clements of Fangraphs.com because I think he wrote it up the best encompassing everything that's involved and how ultimately it impacts baseball fans. So boiling it down to as simple of terms as I could possibly provide 14 major league baseball teams are on Bally sports and Bally sports is ran by the diamond sports group. And it's a subsidiary of Sinclair and Sinclair also owns part of the yes network and the marquee network for the Chicago Cubs. And it's it's been reported that the Diamond Sports Group will soon declare bankruptcy. And four of those 14 teams are in the American League Central, Cleveland, Minnesota, Detroit, Kansas City, even still continuing local, the Milwaukee Brewers are on it, Bally Sports, San Diego. They spent all this money on players. They're on Bally Sports. So there's a lot of teams, almost half the league here is sweating because there's just not a lot of certainty coming into the season of what's going on with their local TV deals. And the most pressing question for these teams, if they declare bankruptcy, are we getting our local rights fees paid out? Because like the Brewers reported just renewed their deal with Bally Sports in 2021, mm-hmm. and they're getting between 40 to $50 million. I will tell you this. If the Milwaukee Brewers do not get that 40 to $50 million in 2023, that really hurts them as an organization. And it ties up to what they could possibly do in the near future. And that could have significant impact, no matter what other TV deals Major League Baseball has negotiated with Peacock to do the Sunday morning games, which by the way, Jason Benetti will be calling those (laughs) Uh, Apple TV games, the new deal with Fox, the new deal with ESPN, Mm -hmm. like the local TV deals are really big for these organizations. And I think this is something on the business front when it comes to major league baseball, Jim post lockout, this could have a lot of impact in the league and something we're going to have to pay attention to, even though the White Sox own somewhat their regional sports network. They share ownership with the Chicago Bulls, the Chicago Blackhawks of NBC Sports Chicago that's ran by Comcast and NBC. But for 14 teams in the league, this is going to be a really hot topic and pressing situation. Especially since like it seems... I would say more than coincidental that Artie Moreno with the angels withdrew his plans to sell the angels. And I think the nationals are doing the same thing, like, you know, holding off on selling. And right now I think like, you know, the, the 
RSN value has been so intrinsic to the value of organizations. Now I think organizations you know, uh, are doing a little bit more diversification. You're seeing them with real estate to try to uh, buoy their franchise values by having like, you know, not only the stadium, but like the you know, land around it, developing whole neighborhoods to you know, get different income streams. But for like, you know, I don't know, decades, at least a couple decades, the you know, regional sports network was like key to, you know, whether a franchise is worth like 1.1 billion or like 1.92 billion, especially you know, in, in certain markets. The White Sox are doing okay, but like the Yankees with Yes Network, they were like the model and the, the Dodgers you know, with SNLA, which is very, very troublesome when it comes to rights deals and the Dodgers fans being able to actually watch Dodgers game on their preferred or maybe their unpreferred carrier, but the only carrier they can get based on like if they're living in apartments or something like that. So it's been, you know, you know, either great for some teams and, and you know, huge for their uh, established presences in their markets, or in the case of like the Dodgers, like chasing that dollar for uh, and, and kind of foregoing some fans satisfaction in order to get that money. But now, like if these things are up in the air, you know, I wonder if like teams would be willing to sell, uh, you know, to try to get out before these things kind of not maybe evaporate. Because I think, you know, as Ben Clemens mentioned, like it's not that they're unprofitable. It's that they were the uh, purchase and the leveraged buyout and they can't make the debt payments because, you know, some parts of the economics have gone under. And, you know, it's like with Toys R Us and other, you know, non broadcast networks we've seen just get saddled with debt and then go under uh even if they're doing you know fine on their own newspapers are another one like that's that's where i can speak to like newspapers used to make huge profit margins now they make small ones but you know if small ones aren't good enough uh then that's when leverage buyouts come in and they just kind of you know sink a property in order to get them you know assets from them basically but the, the, the regional sports networks are kind of treated in the same way as a gamble. The gamble didn't work out and like, but they still should be profitable. Just more of a matter of like, are they going to be profitable long enough uh, under the current arrangement for like a new owner to really get their money's worth and for teams to get, you know, the kind of money they thought they would be getting, you know, or even like at a discount to where it makes sense for them. So it is messy. And, and I wonder like if it's a case where like teams aren't selling because, you know, they just can't count on that. Or if they're going to wait like a little bit to see like if the new rights arrangement is somehow maybe even more valuable to them or as valuable to them, but more stable if the teams or the league has more say in who gets their product versus like leaving it to the sports networks uh, to do all the distribution for them. I did put up a poll on Twitter, which you can follow us on Twitter at Sox Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. Which distribution model interests you the most in getting your favorite local MLB TV games and the choices were the current regional sports network model, which every team has across major league baseball or an MLB app subscription, very much like ESPN or Disney plus, uh, or even Netflix and only 208 people participated in the poll, but 56% prefer the MLB app subscription moving away from the regional sports networks. And I find that interesting because for YouTube TV, a subscription service that we both have, Jim, they really depend on these new deals. And there just seems to be a bidding war across the subscription platforms. Who knows? Maybe one day Amazon will get involved as they got Thursday night football from the national football league. And they're still hungry for live sports because live sports sells when it comes to subscription models. So YouTube TV 
it's rumored that they may be getting NFL Sunday ticket uh, from DirecTV. And because if they get that, they'll sell more subscribers. They'll make more money. The product will be very valuable to Google. That's what makes sense at a business front. But from Major League Baseball, if half the league right now could suddenly be underwater with the regional sports network deals, Mm -hmm. maybe we have to go in another direction here because the NFL doesn't have this problem. They don't have regional sports network issue. They just broadcast the games locally on Fox and CBS on Sundays. And then Amazon gets Thursdays and NBC gets Sunday night. And on Monday, it goes to ESPN. They have those deals in place because they don't play almost every single day. Major League Baseball, they could try their best to get those types of deals. And they have many deals with these national carriers. But you still have the local games for a lot of these teams that still need to get broadcasted. If the regional sports network model is too much risk... Do you think we could see maybe a new streaming subscription service through Major League Baseball that pretty much nixes the whole idea of needing a regional sports network for the local MLB teams? It seems like it could go that way. The one thing I wonder, though, is if you only sell to your customers, does that limit the amount of growth? Like, naturally, when it comes to, like, the White Sox doing well. Like, I'd be curious, like, in a case where, like, say... White Sox TV ratings weren't good. Then all of a sudden, like, oh, they're in first place in August and running away with it. They look like they could be something. Will they get the upswing in ratings the way that they do over the course of a season? Like, usually TV ratings um, are quicker to respond to uh, season trends than attendance. Like, you know, even if the White Sox don't draw 30,000 in a for a team that's uh, that should draw 30,000 terms of quality, like the TV ratings will be there. So if they're only selling their own customers, like will they get that kind of upswing with, with ratings or is it a case where like, Oh, it's just a kind of a closed, you know, closed wall garden here. And they're really only selling their old customers. And like for, for a sport like baseball, that is trying to lower its median age and trying to, you know, appeal to more and more people. Like, is that the smart move? Like, and, and maybe it is because, Maybe like younger consumers are used to buying streaming services for everything and <laughs> having like, you know, like five or six subscriptions and juggling them back and forth based on like whether things are in season or whether they want to catch up on a show that they haven't uh, seen before. And like, I want to watch an NBC. I want to watch 30 Rock. I need to get Peacock. Okay, watch 30, 30 Rock. I can cancel Peacock. Ted Lasso is back. I'm going to get Apple TV. Like maybe they're used to this and we'll just kind of juggle back and forth. Uh, based on whether they want to watch a team or not. But I could also see them being a case where like if NBA and NHL also having the same issues because they have Bally Sports uh-huh. RSN problems, like perhaps there's a case where like given that Jerry Reinsdorf owns both teams, like there might be a, a joint sports partnership that might kind of bridge the gap between both where it's not just baseball, but maybe baseball can form partnerships with uh, markets to push their own product, but maintain their rights. The White Sox-Bulls deal with NBC Sports Chicago expires in October 2024. So there's a deal in place for the next couple of seasons for the Chicago White Sox in 2023-2024 season. But we'll see. You know, maybe Comcast and NBC, they're watching and what's going on with Bally Sports and they're looking at their bottom line, Jim, and they decide, you know what? It's not worth it for us anymore to continue running regional sports networks. We're not making as much money as we were expecting in this type of deal. 
we can't continue carrying this model. So we're looking to sell. And obviously Sinclair or Diamond Sports Group is looking to sell Bally mm-hmm. Sports. And all of a sudden Major League Baseball is looking around. It's like, oh my gosh, our two biggest regional sports networks don't want to be in business anymore. We should pivot. And I think eventually we could see it. It obviously has some tremendous impact in what the Bulls and Blackhawks would do in town uh, if they're not all together. I could see maybe even, and as you mentioned, locally, they create their own subscription models, but it goes back to the BAM tech. Was that short-sighted to sell BAM tech to Disney while every team got a lot of money and the league got a lot of money? It sure sounds like you could use BAM tech yeah. right now <laughs> to develop this type of well, streaming like platform. Football and like the, the big advantage the NFL has is like the games are freely available, especially like locally. Like over the air, you can get it with an antenna. Just, you know, CBS, Fox, uh, 12 o'clock and 3 o'clock Central Time. Like it's so reliable, so freely available. Occasionally you have the game on ESPN or, you know, Amazon or something like that. But when it comes to like just finding the product, having the product find you, Sunday when you're not doing anything anyway, or at least you can make plans once a week. Like it's, it's always going to be, I think the dominant sport in America, just because the distribution problem is, you know, it isn't a problem. The distribution is, is basically solved. And the rest is just money on the margins with these Thursday night games. And, you know, these, these random streaming games here and there, like they're just picking up money here and there, but they're always gonna be front of mind because it's so easy to find. And that's my concern with baseball and other sports is like, if they just go down the streaming, uh, you know, just closing themselves off and, and cashing in and, and keeping the money themselves and, and having to be a separate app and a separate, uh, yeah, just, you know, if it's, does Roku have it? Does, uh, does my smart TV have it? Do I need to get a different TV because they don't have the, it's just going to be, it's going to be messy and transition could be tough. And you just hope that, uh, you know, you just don't close it off to where it's like an, a niche interest because, uh, nobody can happen upon it accidentally. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens, but Keep an eye, folks, on what's going on with Bally Sports, especially uh, when the news does become official that they declare bankruptcy. And uh, we'll see if this spurs Major League Baseball to make some really drastic decisions and a drastic pivot in the way that they broadcast their games moving forward, especially after the 2024 season as the Chicago White Sox will be in that boat as the deal again expires in October 2024 with NBC Sports Chicago. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you just discovered the Sox Machine Podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Music. We also put episodes on our YouTube page at youtube.com slash Machine, which will encourage to get more and more subscribers and hopefully more and more people watch videos as we surpassed 1,000 subscribers finally, Jim. So that's big news for us. So thank you guys so much for subscribing. And again, you can follow us on Twitter at Sox Machine, and you can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. If you enjoy your work and would like more, you can sign up to become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash Sox Machine, where our Patreon supporters get exclusive content, ad-free versions of both the podcast and website. And when we have new Sox Machine swag in the new Sox Machine store, they're the first ones to receive it. Monthly plans start at $2, or you can save with an annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're on for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. 
Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.